Hebrews chapter number 10 and verse 24. This is the word of the Lord. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but rather exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Last week, we began a new series of sermons called Core Convictions. Now, core convictions are a summary of how our theology and our motives express themselves practically. We took time to unravel that last week as we looked at our theology being our statement of faith as a church and our our motives being our mission statement. A statement of faith is a summary of the core Bible doctrines that we teach and the mission statement being that it is our purpose to glorify God and exalt His gospel through the preaching of His word and the fellowship of His church. Well, core convictions are how our theology... And our motives, our mission, express themselves practically. The first core conviction that we looked at last week is the core conviction of meaningful membership. Meaningful membership, how that we join ourselves together to submit our Christian discipleship to the shepherding, fellowship, and ministry of this local church. Uh, Today we look at Core conviction number two. Core conviction number one, meaningful membership. Core conviction number two, gathering together. Gathering together. Again, it's how our theology and our motives express themselves practically. How do we take what we believe and what we are motivated by and live that out practically as a church? Well, we join the church in membership in meaningful membership, and we gather together. Now, each of these core convictions, as we looked at last Sunday, have a uh, subtitle that we want to follow, and I want to give you the subtitle of Gathering Together. It's there available for you on the screen. When it comes to gathering together, we understand here that we faithfully gather together each week for corporate worship, Bible teaching, and Christian fellowship. We faithfully gather together each week for corporate worship, Bible teaching, and Christian fellowship. So last week, we talked about the Bible's pattern for Christians to be added to the church. And once they are added to the church, we are now to be involved in the church. And one of the ways that we are involved in the church is by faithfully gathering together. We saw this clearly from Acts chapter number 2, verses 41 and following. Here, again, is a reminder of that biblical pattern for how the church is to function. Acts 2, 41, then those who gladly received his word, that is, they were converted. They that gladly received his word were baptized, so they were converted. They were baptized, and that day there were about 3,000 souls added to the church, all right? So they were converted. They were baptized, they were added, 
But it didn't stop there. They were also involved. They received the word. They were baptized. They were added to the church. And then verse 42 says, and they continued. They continued. They were involved in the church. That is the biblical pattern for church membership. Conversion, baptism, added to the church, involved in the church. The question is, what did they continue doing? And among many things listed in that chapter of Acts chapter 2, verse 46 tells us that they continued daily with one accord in the temple. They continued every day with one accord in the house of God, praising God with all the people. So they were converted, they were baptized, they were added, and they were involved. And they were particularly here involved in the gathering together of the church. They gathered themselves together for worship, for teaching, and for fellowship. This is a core conviction. Not only of the Bible, but of our church. We join in meaningful membership and we gather together. We gather together. Now, if a church doesn't meet together, it's not a church. If a church doesn't meet together, it's not a church. In fact, the word for church in the New Testament is the Greek word ecclesia. It's the same word that we see the word used for assembly in the Hebrew in the Old Testament. So together in this assembly, in this word church in the New Testament, ecclesia, it it, it has the same idea. It is a called out assembly. A called out assembly. That's what a church is. A called out assembly assembly of people. A church is a people who have been set apart by God through conversion and assembled together in a place for God's glory and purposes. That's what a church is. A church is a group of people who have been set apart by God through conversion and assembled together in a place for God's glory and purposes. Purposes. Sometimes people like to say, well, 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 a church is a people, it's not a place. That's what they say, at least. A church is a people, not a place. It, it's more accurate, biblically, to say that a church is a people assembled in a place. That's the New Testament perspective of the church. It is a people assembled in in a place. It is regularly gathering together as an assembly of saved people that makes a church a church. Now, this doesn't mean that a church stops being a church when the people aren't gathered. Any more than a baseball team stops being a team when they don't have a scheduled game. That's not what that means. The point is, routinely gathering together is necessary for a church to be a church, just like a team has to gather together on the baseball field to play in order to be a legitimate team. Churches meet together. Churches gather together. Consider these examples of New Testament passages about the church gathering. In Luke chapter 24, the Bible says this this group of people, they they came to Jerusalem. And when they came to Jerusalem, they found the church gathered together. They found the church gathered together. 
In John chapter 20, it says, on the first day of the week, the Lord's Day, where the disciples were assembled. Acts 27 says, on the first day of the week, the church came together. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, they were gathered together. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, when the whole church, when the whole church comes together in one place, in one place. Even in the Old Testament, believers were filled with joy to assemble together in the house of God. We read that in our scripture reading this morning. Psalm 122 and verse 1, David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Let us go, let us gather, let us assemble with other believers. You see, the only way we can be the church is if we gather with the church. The only way we can be the church is if we gather with the church. Gathering together is essential to our Christian discipleship. It is evidence of our salvation, and it is a foretaste of the future. The future, when the the global church will gather together in heaven for all of eternity. So it is a core conviction of this local church that we honor God's word By faithfully gathering together. Faithfully gathering together. Our text, as we've already read, is Hebrews chapter 10. Especially verses 24 through 25. And here, the author of Hebrews gives us some things to think about in relation to the church's obligation to gather together, to meet together. Faithfully, regularly. The first thing he does here is he reminds us of something important. And here's what he reminds us of. Our gatherings have a biblical purpose. That's the first thing I want you to see today. Our gatherings have a biblical purpose. Look there in your Bibles at verse 24 of Hebrews chapter 10. It says, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Verse 25 exhorting or or encouraging one another, encouraging one another. So let us consider one another to stir up love and good works, and let us encourage one another. You see, the church, by its simple design, is anti-isolation. It's about coming together. It's about being together. It's about glorifying God together. I'm afraid that one of the major consequences of how we handled this pandemic is that as a society we became so isolated from one another that it subtly spilled over into our thoughts about church. We, we, we now have more people working from home than, other, than ever. Uh, Most of you didn't even know what Uber Eats and DoorDash was until the pandemic came. Why go to Chick-fil-A when you can call them and they can bring it home to you, you know? And and those those things have spilled over into our thoughts about church. Many have convinced themselves even now after the pandemic that due to technology they can still be obedient to God or at the very least survive spiritually without actually gathering. But in actual fact, 
viewing the services of a church as a replacement for gathering in person with that church actually hurts you spiritually. Because the primary purpose of the church is to pursue the glory of God together. Together. Our coaches used to say growing up, there is no I in team. There is no I in church. We are in this together. We pursue the glory of God together. So when we come together, we do so, according to verse 24, in a thoughtful consideration of others. Thoughtful consideration of others. That we might stir each other up in love and good works, encouraging one another. Now, I know this automatically implies that we will be on the receiving end of the thoughtfulness of others. That is, when we come to church, we can expect to some degree to receive something, to receive something. But the way this is written is not so that we will come to church to receive something. It's so that we will come to the gathering ready to initiate encouragement to others. It's not about waiting for others to come and encourage us. It's about initiating that encouragement to other people. Now, I'm as bad about this as anybody is, but we have to stop leaving church on Sunday saying, nobody encouraged me today. The reason I say I'm as bad as anybody is about this is because my wife can tell you that it is not abnormal for me to go home on a Sunday afternoon and say to her, you know, nobody said anything about my sermon today. And that usually is, 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 is bookmarked by the idea that Monday somebody will say something about it and it won't be what I wanted on Sunday. Yeah, nobody said anything about my sermon today. How many times do we we go home like that? Nobody, Nobody shook my hand today. Nobody prayed with me today. Nobody encouraged me today. Instead, we ought to leave church saying, here's who I sat beside today. Here's who I prayed with today. Here's who I encouraged today. Far too many have a flawed view of the church. It's not just about what we receive. And when it becomes only about what we receive, guess what? You're going to stay home. You're not going to gather. Because you begin to convince yourself that I can get what I need by staying at home. Because it's all about me. And it's all about what I receive. I can receive the preaching from home. I can receive the announcements from home. I can listen to the singing from home. So, so what we've done is we've had a, we've had a flawed, unbiblical view of the church. It's, it's all about us. It's all about what we can get out of it. It's all about what we receive. No, it's not always about that. It's about contributing to the spiritual life of others. That's why we gather together, to stir up your love, to stir up my good deeds, to encourage one another, to contribute to the spiritual lives of others. And we can't do that the way God designed the church to do it when we're not physically present. 
So a biblical purpose, according to the writer of Hebrews here, for our gatherings is that we come every Lord's Day to stir one another up, to love God, to love each other, to, to, to be holy, to express good works, and to encourage each other in the faith. And the way that we do this is by following the New Testament pattern for church gatherings. We just can't come up with our own idea of how the church ought to function when it gathers together. No, we need to follow the New Testament pattern for gatherings. And when the early church came together, they did so for a very simple process. They worshiped, they taught, they fellowshiped. That's the pattern. You can study the whole book of Acts and all of the New Testament to find out that this was the pattern. They worshiped, they taught, they fellowshiped. There was no elaborate production. There was no complicated schedule. It was very basic. Worship, teaching, and fellowship. Because they knew that it was through worship, teaching, and fellowship that we are stirred up to love and good works. And it's through worship, teaching, and fellowship that we actually encourage one another. Uh, Sinclair Ferguson in his book, uh, Devoted to God's Church, said this, The life of the early church was very basic. We hear nothing about special programs. We hear nothing about special programs. One cannot help wondering if these basics have become lost in a sea of other activities. Sometimes, he goes on to say, to the point of minimizing or even excluding what was central to these early Christians. The New Testament reminds us that whatever else may happen in our church family, we each need to make sure that we keep the main things central and fundamental. And some people say, well, well, pastor, my church doesn't offer anything for fill in the blank. We don't have a program for this. We don't have a ministry for those people. Listen to me very carefully. If a gospel-centered church gathers weekly for worship, teaching, and fellowship, then it offers every believer in every life stage all that is biblically needed. We keep it simple around here. We keep it basic. God has given us the formula, worship, teaching, and fellowship. Unfortunately, consumerism and the activity-driven models of our day have blurred a proper and healthy view of what the church actually is, as well as our place within it. So if you're looking for a church with the right program, you're looking for the wrong things. Because whether you're single or married, young adult, teenager, senior saint, we are to gather with the whole body, the whole body, and engage all believers of all backgrounds and all life stages in one simple formula, worship, teaching, and fellowship. This is what God has designed his church to be. And when we follow his design, he tells us in the book of Ephesians that he makes the whole body fit together perfectly so that the whole body is healthy, growing, and full of love. Let's just spend a few moments on those three things. Okay, worship, teaching, fellowship. Here's the first one, worship. Just think about worship for a moment, how this encourages us, how this stirs us up to love. When we gather and pray together, sing together, and enjoy God together, then we are experiencing a spiritual dynamic where Christ himself comes and meets with us as his gathered people. He delights in this. 
Yes, he goes with us individually wherever we go. But there is a special demonstration of God's presence when his people gather together and worship. Worship of the gathered church is the closest that a Christian gets to heaven on this side of eternity. Spurgeon called corporate worship the very gate of heaven. The gate of heaven. Nothing is closer to heaven than what we do here as a gathered group of people. It's why the psalmist cried out in Psalm 34, Magnify the Lord with me. Let us go and exalt his name together. Why the emphasis on everybody else coming together to do it? Because there is a special demonstration of God's presence when his people come together to to worship. And it's that kind of worship that encourages the body of Christ. It's that kind of worship that stirs us up to love and good works. So so there's worship, then there's teaching, teaching. The word of God sets the agenda of our gatherings. That's why here at Laurel, whenever we come together, we read the word, and we sing the word, and we pray the word, and we teach and preach the word, and we do our very best to live obediently to the word. We are, without apology, a Bible-driven church, not a political-driven church, not a tradition-driven church. We are a Bible-driven church. So when we gather together, we come to stir one another up to love and good works and to encourage one another. How do we do that? Through corporate worship and by teaching the word and listening to the word, just as the early church did. Now, I'll spend a little bit more time on this next week as we talk about another core conviction, but it is extremely important that when we do gather, that we come ready to listen the right way. To listen humbly. To listen humbly. Now, I love you. And some of you love to listen to preaching and watch preachers, and that's great. But if you're not careful, you will become so enamored with the style of a preacher and how he exposits this and how he outlines that and how he demonstrates. I heard a guy say one time, I can tell you read. You should say, you never say, uh. You never say, well, I say, uh, all the time, and I read a lot. <laughs> we get so enamored with all the technical capabilities of a speaker that we're not humbly coming to the Word of God saying, Lord, show me what you want me to know. So when we come together for teaching, if you really want to be encouraged, you got to stop coming to the Word pridefully. Come to the Word humbly. Come to the Word thankfully. Come to the Word intently. Come obediently. Come gratefully. Listen to what God wants to say to you through His Word. Worship, teaching, fellowship. Fellowship. We remember, as we looked at last Sunday, we are members one of another. Look at this. Members one of another. Whether you like it or not, we're joined together. And that's the beauty of the church, isn't it? The beauty of the church is you don't get to pick and choose who you're joined with. God joins us together. We're members one of another. And so we stir up and encourage one another by our fellowship together. 
We need each other. And by the way, Satan knows that. Satan knows you need me and I need you. Again, Spurgeon. Have y'all ever heard of him before? I don't know if I've ever quoted him. (laughs) Spurgeon said, Satan hates Christian fellowship. It is his policy to keep Christians apart. Anything which can divide saints from one another, he delights in it. He attaches far more importance to togetherness than even we do. He knows togetherness is our strength. And so he does his very best to promote isolation. Because when you're not together, you're not encouraged. When you're not together, you're not strengthened. When you're not together, you don't experience that special demonstration of God's presence in his corporate people. Consider the one another statements of the Bible. Love one another. Prefer one another. Be at peace with one another. Receive one another. Instruct one another. Care for one another. Minister to one another. Serve one another. Bear one another's burdens. Comfort one another. Encourage one another. Build one another up. Buy one another vehicles. Keep one another account. Oh, wait a minute. I'm sorry. I'm searching for a van right now. That just kind of slipped into my notes unaccountable there. Which makes sense because the very next phrase says, keep one another accountable. Pray for one another. Be hospitable to one another. Fellowship with one another. I can read all of them. There are over 50 of these in the Bible. And the point is, the point is, God is trying to tell us here, Christianity and the church, look, they're inseparable. Christianity and the church are inseparable. And so he reminds us here that there is a purpose for why he wants us to gather. There is a biblical purpose for why he wants us to gather. And that's because you need it. And I need it. And we need it for the worship, for the teaching, and for the fellowship that comes with it. He reminds us that our gatherings have a biblical purpose. Secondly here, he gives us a command in verse 25. And the command is this. In light of the fact that we have a purpose for gathering, here's what he says. Don't stop gathering together. Don't stop believing. That's journey. That's not Hebrews. Don't stop gathering together. Now I'm back on track, all right? (laughs) Don't stop gathering together. Okay, I'm not going to go what just else came into my mind, but there's the command. Don't stop gathering together. Verse 25, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the habit of some. Don't forsake it. Don't stop meeting. Don't get in the habit as is the habit of others not to meet when your church is meeting. The word assembling here is always interesting to me. It's it's the Greek word, and I want you to listen to it for a moment. It's the Greek word episunagogon. Episunagogon. Does it sound familiar? Episunagogue. Synagogue. Synagogue. So again here we have a command that is directly related back to the place that the people of God are to gather in one location. 
That's what the command is about. Gathering together in one building, in one place for worship, teaching, and fellowship. And so how do we apply that to the church at Laurel? Well, if he was writing this to the church at Laurel, here's exactly what he would say. When the church at Laurel meets together on Plaza Road Extension, don't be among those who are in the habit of being absent. Don't be among those who are in the habit of not being there. I want to put this in context because when you study the book of Hebrews, as we recently have, you understand immediately that this is being written to a church who is under intense persecution. Okay? So knowing that is absolutely crucial to understanding the framework of this command. He is not writing to a bunch of people who are living the American dream. He is writing to a bunch of people who are under intense persecution. Because this command was given to a people who circumstantially found it inconvenient, even terrifying, to gather together with the church. And perhaps maybe your biggest fear today in gathering was that I would go too long and you would miss lunch. I dare say that any of you feared gathering together that you might go to jail before the service is over with. Unless I keep you too long and you miss lunch. No, 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 no. We don't fear those things. But they did. Martyrdom was a step away when they chose to gather. Yet, to these who gathered, watch this, the risk was worth the benefit. The risk was worth the benefit. It was worth it to gather. And can I say to us today, especially in this season in which we come out of, whatever hindrances there are in front of you, it is worth working through it to gather with God's people. The risk is worth the benefit. Unfortunately, even good things can cause someone to get in the habit of not being here with us. Good things. It's been already mentioned. Advanced technology is no replacement for gathering with the church. How many times have I said it through the years? Online church is an oxymoron. There is no such thing as a virtual church. There's the gathered church. There's the church that meets together in person, physically, but there's not a church that meets virtually somewhere. It doesn't exist. You say, isn't that kind of hypocritical because you offer a live stream this morning? Yeah, the only reason we provide it is for those who are sick and shut in. It's not so that we can go fishing on Sunday morning with the convenience of a church service playing in the background. Some of you just woke up. Oh, that was, that was, that was probably a pretty good idea. <laughs> no, that's not what it's for. It's for Miss Ann Shuck, who's been taking care of her husband for years, and she's been back the last past couple of weeks because God has arranged things in her life where she can be here. It's, it's people like Pam Bradley, who's the primary care for, a caregiver for her husband who has dementia and who all three happen to be down with COVID right now. It's so that they can still receive 
something, but they know. They all know. They all know. It's not like being here. It's not the same. It's not a convenience for us to go do whatever we want to do on the Lord's Day and somehow ease our guilt because we tuned into a service online. Advanced technology is not a replacement for the church. But I did find it very interesting that every generation has had some type of technology that has competed with a believer's need to gather in person. We go back to Spurgeon. Can you tell I read a lot of Spurgeon sermons? I found this statement in a Spurgeon sermon a while back, and I never knew when I was going to be able to use it. And today's the day. Listen to what he said. This is amazing to me. 1800s. There are some who even make a bad use of what ought to be a great blessing. All right, let's, let's put it in our context. The Internet's a great blessing, isn't it? But we can make bad use out of it. Okay? All right. He says, there are some who even make a bad use of what ought to be a great blessing, namely the printing press. We've come a long way from, uh, from what was competing, the Metropolitan Tabernacle, what competes with the Laurel Baptist Church. The printing press and the printed sermon by staying at home to read a sermon because they say it is better than going out to hear a sermon. Well, dear friend, if I could not hear profitably, I would still gather together with the worship of God's people. It's a bad example for a professing Christian to be absent from the assembly of the church of Christ. Advanced technology is no replacement, whether it's the printing press or Google Fiber. A Bible study with a friend is not a replacement for gathering with the church. There are those who don't want to do anything with anyone who is not like them. That's why they struggle gathering. They only want to study the Bible with people who talk like them, with people who look like them, with people who have the same interests as them. And let me tell you something. That right there is the ultimate expression of narcissism. And what happens is, instead of joining with a church and gathering with a church and exploring the benefits of a church, we just, we just go find people who are like us, and we have a little Bible study with them, and we think that we've actually honored God. Even a Bible study, something that is meant to be a blessing, is not to be used as a replacement for obedience to Christ. Involvement with a parachurch organization is not a replacement for gathering with the church. Listen, we could go on and on, but it's really like anything with life. It all comes down to whether or not we take God at his word. Do we believe the Jesus of the Bible who commands us to belong to and be faithfully involved in the church? Or do we believe in a Jesus that we have made according to our own desires? When the pandemic prevented us from being together for a short period of time, it absolutely crushed me. And I know I wasn't the only one, by the way, because we talked a lot about that in that season, didn't we? I may have been cool for the first couple of weeks. Everybody was doing the whole thing and productions. We'd come out here on Friday, record the service. and All right, that, that was fine. You got to watch it in your pajamas, sipping coffee. 
and you didn't even have to steal the guest parking spot. We see you. I'm talking to members, by the way. If you're a guest, we want you to park there. If you have a Laurel Baptist Church sticker on your window, you shouldn't be parking in the guest parking spot. It was so convenient, wasn't it? But, but, but after two weeks of that, I, I was done. Because it's not just about what I can receive virtually. I needed to be with you. I attribute a large portion, large portion of my mental health struggles to the fact that I wasn't able to be with God's people. It hurt me. Emotionally, mentally, spiritually. And I know many of you felt the same way. It's why I don't understand those who say they love God, His Word, and His people, but at the same time, they don't regularly regularly gather together with those for whom Christ died. I don't understand that. I don't understand it. If we say we like softball, we play softball. If we say we like shopping, we go shopping. If we say we like barbecue, we eat barbecue. Why, why do we say we love the church and we never hang out with it? I don't understand it. I don't understand it. And again, I'm not talking about those who are providentially hindered. The sick, the shut-in, the emergency personnel who are on call. That's not what I'm talking about. The scripture here is confronting those who are needlessly absent. Needlessly absent. And most who are in the habit of not gathering are this. They're needlessly absent. They don't need to be absent. They're just lazy. You see, if you can't attend the regular gatherings of our church, you should at least be frustrated that you can't. If you're gone on vacation and you can't be with us on that Sunday because you're away at wherever place, you ought to at least be disappointed that you're not with God's people. That's not what I'm talking about. We're talking about those who are needlessly absent. We're talking about people who never show up, but every once in a while, and it doesn't bother them. You see, if you can miss church and it not frustrate you or disappoint you, something deeper is wrong. Now, don't shoot the messenger. And I'm not trying to put myself in a different line than God. This is the word of God. And my responsibility is to give you the word of God. And here's what the word of God says to you and me. Even when I don't feel like coming to church. And yes, there are Sundays where I don't want to come. More than once. But God is saying here that we need to exist together because of the encouragement and the spiritual influence that we have in one another's life. So don't stop meeting together. That's what God tells us. Don't stop meeting together. And then finally, he calls us to a commitment. And the commitment is, verse 25... Be resolved to gather more, not less. 
be resolved to gather more, not less. Verse 25. He says, in this assembly together, we ought to come together so much the more. So much the more. As we see the day approaching. So much the more. I hope you're not the type of employee that goes to work on Monday morning trying to get by with the bare minimal. What's the least I can do and still keep my job? Unfortunately, in a lot of cases, professing Christians operate their lives also in this manner. What's the least that is expected of me? They, they view Christian disciplines as a checklist, and perhaps that's how your mind is thinking. You know, when I get in my car, I can check that off. I attended the church. Now, I can go do whatever I want to do. Check, you know. What's the least that is expected of me? But here, in relation to our commitment to gather with the church, the Holy Spirit calls us to more, not less. More, not less. Why? Two things to think about. One, gathering with the church is a guardrail to prevent us from abandoning the gospel. Gathering with the church is a guardrail to prevent us from abandoning the gospel. The entire context of Hebrews is how to press on in the gospel, how to keep going in the faith, the faith that has been delivered to us, how not to drift away from it. In fact, you get to the very end of Hebrews chapter 10, and here's what it says in verse 39. But we are not of those who draw back to abandonment. We are among those who believe to the saving of the soul. So all of this works together. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, the more we gather in a healthy church, the more we will understand the gospel and subsequently devote ourselves to it. But the less we gather the more danger we tread. In other words, it's dangerous for you not to gather with your church family. Dangerous. Because it is by gathering together that the church prevents us from abandoning the gospel that has been delivered to us. Secondly, He tells us here that the more our eyes are on Jesus, the more our commitment will be to his church. The more our eyes are on Jesus, the more our commitment will be to his church. He says, I want you to do this so much the more as you see the day approaching. The day, the day. It's a direct reference. That is the phrase, the day. It's a direct reference to Christ's return and his judgment on the world. And what the writer of Hebrews is telling us is that this event is nearer than ever. It's coming. The day is approaching when Jesus will come and judge the world. So as we focus on him and his coming, what happens? We find more and more delight in gathering with God's people. Here's what he's trying to help us see. That Jesus is our motive for gathering. Yes, we come to encourage. Yes, we come to stir one another up. We do all of these things. But the motive for being here is Jesus. We do this because Jesus, Jesus, he is the motive. He is the incentive 
for investing more into the gathering, not less. So be resolved to gather more, not less, because of Jesus. He deserves more than once a month. Well, Pastor, I'm doing good there. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm coming every week. I'm gathering every Sunday. Wonderful. Now try to make Wednesdays happen. Oh, now, Pastor, Wednesday, <clears throat> you know, I'm in seminary. Wednesday is not the Lord's Day. Wednesday is not the Lord's Day. I understand that. Hey, I do. I understand that. I understand that clearly. And there's not one ounce of desire in me to try and guilt anyone into being here. I'm over that. I used to function that way. I don't function that way anymore. I understand that. But my question to you about the more and more principle is when it comes to a midweek gathering of the church or a fellowship group or whatever God is speaking to your heart about today, are you needlessly absent from it or are you providentially hindered from it? Is the benefits worth the inconveniences? The benefits of worshiping in the middle of the week when I'm about ready to throw in the towel on Tuesday afternoon? Do you know how many times I go home in the middle of my week and tell, what my, tell Kathleen or whoever's listening to me, I don't want to do this anymore? I don't want to do this anymore? And then all of a sudden we come together after I've worked my tail off all stinking day, I don't even go home for dinner on Wednesday night. But when I come in here, something shows up among us. And it inspires me to forget everything I said yesterday. I want to go another week for King Jesus. I know traffic's bad. I live 11 miles away. It took us 35 minutes to get here last Wednesday. Us, her, she drives slow. No, Harrisburg is growing. It's growing. It's too big. No, I mean it. It's inconvenient to deal with the traffic. It's inconvenient to change your kids' bedtimes around one night a week. It's inconvenient when you've worked all day and you're tired and you just want to go home and eat a bowl of Cheerios and watch the late night news. It's inconvenient. But is the benefit of your kids' discipleship worth it? Is the benefit of your testimony worth it? Is the benefit of your mental health being encouraged worth it? Well, now you're just meddling, Pastor. Maybe. 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 But I can't get past. Look right here. I can't get, and I don't expect any emails today. I expect them tomorrow. But I can't, I can't get past the more and more principle. I can't get past it. More and more. More and more because he's coming. More and more because he's going to judge the world. More and more. When we follow the biblical purpose for gathering, 
we'll experience the incredible blessings of God's gracious gift to us through his church. A gift that we desperately need. But here's where I close. The word of God also promises that when we gather together, unbelievers will come in. They will hear the gospel proclaimed. This is 1 Corinthians 14. Unbelievers will come in. They will hear the gospel proclaimed. And they will acknowledge that God is in that gathering. 1 Corinthians 14, 24 says, they will fall down on their face, they will worship God, and they will report, hey, God is in that place. God is truly among them. Why? Because gathering together glorifies God, but gathering together exalts the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what a wonderful gift it is to see the lost come to Christ together. Together. So, Perhaps you're here this morning and you've stumbled in on this gathering and you think, man, y'all really believe that stuff. Well, let me tell you something, friend. From my life and the life of many others sitting around here, there was a day when Jesus wasn't present, but when he came in, it changed everything. Everything. It changed my future. It changed how I look at my sin. And it changed how I viewed a church building when I drove by it. That that is a place where God's people gather and meet with him. You see, friends, as we faithfully gather together each week for worship, for teaching, for fellowship, it's my prayer that you will meet us right here in this corporate gathering at the very gate of heaven. Gathering together. It's a clear command from God. It's a core conviction of this church. May God help us to honor him in it. Let's stand together for prayer.